Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So I don't know, up until the last few weeks, we've all thought of 1 Peter 3.15, revering Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you or the hope that you have, um, and do so with gentleness and respect. Um, we've, we've propped that up uh, for a generation as being about worldview apologetics. 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Um, it has become a very different kind of conversational text in the last few days and weeks. And more and more, it is less focused on the reason and more and more focused on the hope. So it's not about reasoning so much in these days as it is about the hope. So what is the hope you have within you? Um, and, and then what is the reason or cause for that hope? Now, the reason or cause for the hope is Christ. Right. The, the, the reason or the cause for the hope within me is Christ in me. But let's talk for a moment about hope. Hope is an indication of certainty. It's this strong, confident expectation uh, that God is going to continue to be God and God is going to continue to be great and good because he is God. And therefore, I have this living hope, not based on the circumstantial reality of today, but based on the nature and character, person, and work of Jesus Christ and what God has promised in him, hope. So in whom do you hope today? Where is your hope anchored? Romans eight twenty four and 25, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not really hope, for why does one hope? for what one already sees. If we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we then wait eagerly for it. So we are hoping beyond, in spite of, in the face of the current realities in which we live. Here's an acronym for you today for the word hope. As Christians, um, our hope is secure, right? I mean, we have a hope that is secure in Christ. The rest of the world is floundering around, grasping today for hope, something to which they can cling and grasp and find to be secure and stable and unmoving uh, in the face of life that has radically changed and in the face of the fear of death. So here's an acronym for you. HOPE. Help others perceive eternity or help others perceive eternally. HOPE. I hope in Christ. My hope is in Christ. And, and so the reason for the hope that is within me is Christ. And as we turn during this Holy Week, um, Palm Sunday is upon us. And next week we will walk uh, the final paces with Jesus to the cross. 
of Good Friday. And we will linger a week from tomorrow on the darkest day that ever was when there was this big question mark over all of human history, when it seemed as if darkness and death had won. But then, hope. And that's Easter. And let me just say that Easter is coming. Easter is coming. Because of Good Friday, Easter is coming. Our hope is secure. So I have lots of uh, passages of Scripture to lift up related to this, but I have a conversation prepared with Kara Powell. You may be experiencing anxiety in your own heart and life. I guarantee you that the children in your midst are experiencing anxiety as well. Kara Powell from the Fuller Youth Institute, we've had her on on several occasions to talk about withing. What does it mean to uh, walk with our kids in the life of faith? Today, she's sharing with us um, really, really concrete, tangible help, ABCDE, in fact, on how to help our kids deal with anxiety in these days. Kara Powell, up next on Mornings with Carmen. thrilled to have back with us Kara Powell from the Fuller Youth Institute. Everything that we're going to talk about today, you can find online at fulleryouthinstitute.org backslash anxious world. Kara, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. It's great to be with you. So we in our family um, are still working our way through the Withing book and all that it has brought um, to us in terms of walking with our kids in the journey and experience of faith. So just want to thank you again for that and encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that podcast. Um, uh, The withing conversation that I had with Kara Powell was just excellent. Today, we're going to talk about, you know, this new reality in which we all find ourselves, um, COVID-19 or coronavirus, whatever we, uh, whatever we want to call it. Talk about faith in an anxious world. Yeah, well, it's understandable that folks are more anxious. We as adults are more anxious. Young people are more anxious. And if you think about the life of a young person, they're constantly getting updates through their devices of what's happening in their city, in our country, and globally. So it's really a a constant stream of updates um, with a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen in the future. So, you know, in general, in our population, about one out of three uh, folks at some time in their lifetime will deal with an anxiety disorder, one out of three. And in seasons like this, uh, the tendency to feel anxious increases. So we expect that we're going to see more and more young people and really people of all ages dealing with anxiety. And we talk about, you know, equipping families who are pretty much at home right now all together. Like, right, we're not we're not going to youth group. Kids are not going to their discipleship groups. They're not, I mean, they may be communicating with their youth pastor or their youth leader, but they're not in that environment where they are used to being able to maybe even talk about us, um, you know, like in a positive way behind our backs, right? So talk with, us, yeah, <laughs> talk with us about this transition to, you know, being at home with our own kids and really where we've we've always been responsible for their discipleship. We are now responsible for that in a new way. Yeah. 
Uh, let me just say, I think COVID-19 is something, um, I, I grieve about it. I pray about it. was just praying about it in the last 15 minutes. Um, I would do anything I could to eradicate it. Let me say, though, if there's going to be some positive effects out of it, um, one of my hopes is that parents now have the opportunity to more directly influence their kids when it comes to spirituality. You know, so many times as parents, we think we can be what my colleague at, at, at Fuller Seminary, Pam King, calls dry cleaner parents, that we can bring our kids all spiritually dirty to church, check them in, leave them in the youth ministry, and then pick them up 75 minutes later all spiritually clean because somebody else has done that you know, spiritual cleaning for us. And that is um, that tendency is harder to embrace these days now that we're with our kids all the time. So actually, I think that's going to be one of the positive effects potentially of COVID-19 as families are experimenting more with family church. They're having their kids choose worship songs to listen to as a family. They're gathering around scripture at coffee tables and kitchen islands more. So I, I know that's actually been one of the positives for our family is the chance to have family church every Sunday. So we um, let our 16-year-old set up a Pandora station that would be for our family during this time. So um, that gave her something to be responsible for and that would serve the whole family. And it meant I didn't have to learn how to do that. And so, <laughs> right, and that's a withing kind of thing. Like she uh -huh. is more with it when it comes to those things than I am. So what are some just other maybe very practical things that at different ages and stages we can allow our kids to be responsible for as we are doing this together as a family? So it's not just like, you know, uh, mom and dad become, suddenly become the worship leaders and the Bible teachers, but we are all in this as a journey of faith together. It's getting a little bit back to your withing theme. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what our family did. Um, I believe it was the second weekend that we knew we were going to be together. The first weekend, we were still a little bit you know, caught on our heels or off our heels. But the second weekend, um, we looked at the greatest commandments that Jesus gives us to love our neighbors, to love God, and to love ourselves. Um, and I created uh, about eight questions on a sheet of paper that asked, how are we going to love God in the midst of this? What can we do to grow closer to God, each of us? Um, and how are we going to love our, ourselves? How are we going to make sure that we stay on top of our work? How are we going to make sure that we keep active and working out? And then how do we love our neighbors? How are we going to love um, literally our neighborhood? How are we going to love people in need who maybe we don't know, but we still want to help in the midst of this season? And and they just jotted down answers, and then we talked about them. But that that's given us a really helpful framework. How do we love God, and how do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Um, and so, you know, whatever, I, I would encourage families to think about and pray about, parents, grandparents, step-parents, to pray about, like, what's a family verse that can be meaningful for, for a week, a month, for this season, however long it lasts? And how can we talk about that verse and what it means to live it out um, individually and then support each other as a family? Oh, I love that. All right, I'm talking with Kara Powell. She's the executive director of the Fuller Youth Institute and a faculty member at Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, we are talking specifically today about faith in an anxious world. It's a four-week high school curriculum, but really you could do it at home um, over a period of time with your high school or even college-age students, fulleryouthinstitute.org backslash anxious world. 
Um, Kara, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's talk about how Jesus enters into some very anxious situations um, and how his presence in the midst of that really does change the reality. I'm going to continue my conversation in just a moment with Kara Powell. Returning now to my conversation with Kara Powell. Kara, I'm wondering um, if there's a process that you're recommending to adults who are walking in life with an anxious uh, preteen or teenager. Yeah, absolutely. As part of our, our research for the Faith in an Anxious World series and parent podcast series, we spent a lot of time with theologians and therapists, really world-class experts on uh, adolescent and childhood anxiety. And I learned so much as a parent myself. And as I looked over their research and, and insights, I realized that it really breaks down, my favorite ideas break down into five steps that start with A, B, C, D, E. So that makes it easy for us to remember as busy adults, um, A, B, C, D, E. And the first A, and this is so pragmatic and important to do, especially as we're grounded at home with our kids, if we feel like our young person is um, maybe starting to deal with anxiety, ask them, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how anxious are you feeling right now? Um, have them, and by the way, scale of one to 10 is a great question to ask as a parent or step-parent in general, but on scale of one to 10, how anxious are you feeling right now? A one to three is no big deal. A four or five is handleable, but a six or above is where you want to start thinking about if my, does my child need additional support? Does my child need to talk to a pastor or a professional therapist, a mental health professional? Because what they're dealing with, and th this really could be true in this COVID-19 era, what they're dealing with is more than they can handle. All right. And one of my kid is, is, you know, they think they are at a nine or a 10. And yet in reality, I kind of recognize that that's maybe not, maybe that's, sort of a hysterical moment. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, then I'd, I'd give it an hour and I'd ask again. But a nine or 10, um, if if your child is feeling that way, you need to have them talk to an adult who's trained. Um, even, even if they're exaggerating in the moment, uh, I would I would say that's a pretty urgent situation to have your child at talk to uh, ideally a mental health professional. If you don't know one right offhand, ask your pastor. Um, they would hopefully have some recommendations on someone who can who can provide that support that your child needs in that moment. All right. That's so helpful. All right. So number one is ask them. That's the A. What's the B? Yeah. B is help your child breathe. And, you know, my whole life I've been hearing the importance of taking deep breaths. And I never understood why until I spent some time with some therapists who explained it to me. Um, you know, our, our body, we automatically kick in with, it, with adrenaline when we're feeling anxious and our heart starts pounding in order to get blood to all of our extremities. When we breathe... It's like it's like God's brake pedal on that process um, to slow to slow our, our our breathing down to slow our lungs down, which ends up slowing our heart down. And so, one of the most pragmatic responses that you can offer your young person is, okay, let's let's try to breathe a little bit together and and see if we can restore some sense of normality. All right, we're doing um, five really practical steps in a process for any adult to use with an anxious child or teenager. We have talked about A, ask them, B, breathe. What's C? 
See, this is so important, Carmen, and I know you're going to definitely uh, embrace this idea yourself, is to center on a helpful truth or scripture, worship song, um, you know, figure out with your child what is something that can be a mental anchor for them when they're feeling anxious. In our family, um, one of our family mantras, since our kids were very young, was Emmanuel, God is with us. And so if any of our three teenagers, we have a 19-year-old, 17-year-old, and almost 14-year-old, if any of them are feeling anxious, um, we talk with them about Emmanuel, God who is with us. We've also looked together at Philippians 4, 6, and 7, what it means to be anxious about nothing but to be prayerful. Um, so whatever, one of our, our children um, they like to play worship songs if they're feeling anxious. So in one song in particular. So again, whatever, whatever scriptural or truth about God is meaningful, that's the C, to center on that. All right, Kara. And what's D? D is develop your team. The good news for us as parents is that we do not have to do this alone. And there are going to be things that our kids are going to feel more comfortable talking about with another caring adult or a friend. So talk with your child about who it is that they can continue to talk to about this. Um, you know, when our kids are out of the house, for instance, if they're nervous when they go to soccer practice or every time they walk into math class, who's a friend they can talk to at that moment? Um, are there adults around, any particular adult they can talk to? And again, um, if needed, is a therapist could be part of that team. So develop your team. All right. Ask, breathe center on a helpful truth, develop your team. What's the fifth step? Yeah, empower through empathy. Um, and really, ideally, we're doing this through the whole process. So much of good parenting, I'm, I continue to learn. So much of good relationships in general, I continue to learn, is to empathize with what that other person is going through. You know, you gave the example earlier of a young person who says they're at a nine or a 10, um, and you don't really totally buy that they're at a nine or a 10, or at least that's not long-term, which you think they are. Well, if it feels like a nine or 10 to them, then how can we empathize with that and understand why? But I love the idea of not just feeling with a young person, but to help them move forward uh, through empowering them through empathy. I, Lisa Damore is a wonderful psychologist, and she gives a great phrase for adults uh, dealing with any, any child or, or teenager having a challenge whether it's anxiety or something else. And it's two parts. That stinks. That's part one. But I think you can handle it is part two. And, you know, I, I, I don't use exactly that phrase, but I use variations of that phrase. Oh, my goodness, that sounds so hard. Um, what do you think you can do to move forward in that situation? Or, oh, I know it's so tough being at home all the time. How do you think you can make it better for yourself? Or what can I do as a parent to um, make this easier for you, to be less annoying um, to you? I've certainly asked that question of my own teenagers as we're all home all the time together. Um, so, so empower through empathy, some variation of a phrase, that stinks, but I think you can handle it. Kara, so helpful. Um, I know that people can go to fulleryouthinstitute.org backslash anxious world to, um, to access this new four-part curriculum, but you also mentioned a, a podcast. Um, can you tell us what that is and how to find it? Yeah, it, it's also at the same place, fulleryouthinstitute.org slash anxious world. Um, and we interviewed uh, amazing parents, therapists who have successfully dealt with anxiety in their own families and with young people. And so we glean quite a lot. And we wanted to have resources just for parents that really complement the resources for church leaders. So all that's available at the website. 
So you're going to want to go to fulleryouthinstitute.org backslash anxious world. Um, if you have heard my conversations with Kara about growing with and withing, you can find that under the parents tab. There's also um, a sticky faith place there. We have had conversations about technology and there's a parent library. So parents really want um, really want to help you find this website and these resources. Again, fulleryouthinstitute.org backslash anxious world. There's a four-part curriculum there that you, you should consider related to talking with your um, teenager, even your young adult, about the anxiety that they're feeling in this season. But also click on that parents tab because there's a lot of other really great stuff on this website. Kara, um, thank you as always for what you do each and every day, bringing us really good research-based and also experiential knowledge um, to just bringing Christ to bear on these issues that we're all dealing with at home right now. Oh, thank you. I am living it every day with my own husband and kids, so it's a pleasure, Carmen. Thanks. Yeah, have fun drywalling with them. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> all right, Kara, thanks a lot. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. So you and I have been instructed to be washing our hands frequently, frequently and thoroughly. I've watched the uh, the video um, of the person that has on the gloves and they're using some sort of black liquid to demonstrate to us how we not only wash, how we not only, you know, do the palms, but between the fingers and then the backs of the fingers and then how we get the back of the thumb and then how we turn our fingers into into our palms uh, in, in order to get the tips of our fingers and under our fingernails. Hand washing, hand washing. You and I know more about hand-washing today than we've ever known before. There's an entire cadre of people out there, however, who have no access to a place, to a sink, where they might wash their hands. No access to clean water. No access to, um, uh, you know, those uh, the bathroom and all the supplies that you and I have in our homes. I'm talking, of course, about unsheltered Americans. I'm talking about the homeless, people who are uh, living either on the streets or in their cars right now. Terrence Lester, oh, you know, that's, I am I am promoing an entirely different conversation, aren't I, Paul? Yes. I'm uh, so sorry. That's coming you know, up in about half an hour. That's another hour. So. Yeah, I'm so yeah. sorry. Let me backtrack and say um, New York City is the epicenter of the coronavirus in America right now. Have you wondered how pastors in New York City are dealing with um, reality? How about a church right across the street from Central Park? Jason Harris pastors Central Presbyterian Church. It is on Park Avenue on Central Park. Um, And he is up next to talk with us about life right now as a Christian, as a pastor at the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic here in America. And then an hour from now, we're going to talk about hand washing. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So when and where does your teen open up and talk? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Just as you and I are more comfortable in certain settings, our kids also let down their guard when they feel safe. Have you figured out where they like to hang out? Parents, notice the times and locations that your teen is unplugged and willing to talk, and then seek out that venue for future conversations. Become a student of your teen's preferences. A cup of coffee, a favorite spot in town they like. Maybe they open up late at night. Mom, Dad, pay attention. A little effort on your part can go a long way to building a deep, long-lasting relationship with your child. 
Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Pastor Jason Harris. He's the senior pastor of Central Presbyterian Church located on Park Avenue at 64th Street in New York City. Under his leadership, the church has really experienced great renewal and growth. Um, Jason's wife is an attorney. They're raising four children in the heart of the nation's largest city, which has now become the epicenter of a global pandemic. Jason, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Good to be with you. Well, it's wonderful to have you here with us. Um, I, I let, maybe we'll just start with this. What have you learned about your city and about God's people in the past month or week or even day? Well, we're learning a lot. I think one of the things that uh, I'm learning uh, that has had the biggest impact on me is how much people focus on the things that really matter in times like this. And so despite uh, the fact that the number of cases rises, the number of deaths rise. Uh, We're seeing a lot of positives, too, in terms of the kind of simple acts of kindness and radical acts of generosity that uh, people have demonstrated towards one another. Uh, We've also seen that people have been able to put aside a lot of their petty differences and, and focus on their relationships or in serving and getting things done together. And so that's been certainly a positive. Well, tell us some of those stories. What um, what are some examples of radical generosity or people setting aside, um, you know, what what a month ago or two months ago, you know, would have been at the center of the fight in their relationship, and instead that's set aside for, um, you know, for really things that are about common humanity today. Hmm. Well, we uh, we've gone through the list of all the people within our congregation and among our staff and lay leaders and volunteers, we've called literally everyone that we can think of who's ever crossed our doors in the last few weeks or months to check in on how they are and where they are. And then based on that, we've been able to determine what sorts of needs people have. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of high-risk people in our congregation who have self-isolated in their apartments, but uh, aren't able to pick up groceries or supplies for themselves. So we've got a whole team of volunteers that are doing that on a regular basis for those who may be shut in for a considerable length of time. Uh, one of the other people, uh, groups that are at greatest risk right now are obviously the homeless. Uh, to be told to shelter in place when you're homeless uh, isn't all that helpful. And uh, a lot of the agencies that uh, provide care for the homeless are really struggling because they they don't have enough manpower and they can't be in large groups. And so we've been able to use our church building to spread uh, a very small number of volunteers out. Uh, we'll put maybe eight people in our large fellowship hall uh, to prepare bagged lunches. So just this past Tuesday, we had that small group of volunteers prepare over 350 bagged lunches to be passed out uh, to the homeless on the streets. And uh, we've we've got a few people that uh, helped set up the the field hospital in Central Park uh, this past week uh, that was organized by Samaritan's Purse. And I think that was one of the shining moments thus far uh, this week, because uh, that was an initiative uh, put forward by 
a Christian organization, and uh, they received some flack from people in the city who uh, weren't pleased with with Christians uh, taking that step. Uh, and yet, I think many people uh, who don't share the Christian faith were pleasantly surprised by uh, the work that they did, how efficient and effective it was. And uh, the volunteers were coming from all kinds of backgrounds, uh, some Christians, some not, but they were working together in common cause. And I think that was another wonderful example of how uh, people can focus on their common humanity and, and getting things done. So. Uh, there, there's been a lot of uh, silver linings in the midst of uh, the dark clouds. Again, I'm talking with Pastor Jason Harris. He's the senior pastor of Central Presbyterian Church. Um, let's uh, let's let's invite people, um, Jason, to be sure they know uh, where to find you. Um, I, I always think that it's inspiring for people to know how to connect with Christians who are on the ground, in particular. Um, places at particular times. So I'm going to direct people to centralchurchnyc.org, centralchurchnyc.org. They also have an app that is Central Church NYC. If you wanted to download the Central Church NYC app on your phone, you could not only keep track of, um, you know, the kinds of conversations that Jason and his congregation are having, but you could um, see the, the places and spaces where they're helping and how you might come alongside them in the work that they're doing um, in the city of New York right now. Jason, you know, just from a pastoral perspective, what has changed and what has not changed? Well, a lot of people are uh, living slower lives right now. I feel like my life has become a bit faster. So uh, my days are definitely very, very full. Uh, we're, we're checking in, as I said, on, on all the members of our congregation uh, as best we can on uh, a regular basis. And uh it seems to me that uh, a lot of people have left the city. Uh, most of the people that are still here are more of those high-risk people who couldn't go anywhere else. And uh, so I find that uh, in addition to preparing our services, uh, which we've now moved online, uh, there is a lot of pastoral care that's taking place. And sadly, we lost uh, the first person in our church yesterday uh, due to complications related to the coronavirus. And so now we're also entering a time of, of mourning and grieving as, uh, as this becomes very real for people. We, we start to lose people we know and love. Um, let's talk about that. How, how, how are you going to approach what you and I would call a service of, of witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. that what other people might call a funeral? Um, how, how are you going to approach that? How do people grieve together um, in, you know, in the midst of a time when they can't gather? Well, we're, we're sorting through that right now. Uh, I think that we might approach this in a two-pronged way. I, I think that obviously there, there needs to be a place for people to uh, be able to mourn together, even if that means uh, doing it virtually in real time, uh, because uh, it doesn't seem right to to allow too much time to go past without uh, without honoring a person's life and reminiscing together about uh, who they were and what they meant to us and the gift they were to our lives uh, and and to point one another, as you said, to the hope of the resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ. But uh, at the same time, uh, I think most people feel like uh, to do that virtually doesn't do justice to uh, 
to the person of Christ or uh, to the person we've lost. And so we'll probably have a, uh, a virtual time to, uh, to gather and to mourn, but it looks like at least in this case, we'll reserve the actual uh, service of witness to the resurrection uh, until a later date when we can gather again in person mm-hmm. in our physical building. Yeah, I love that. I think there's, you know, there's wisdom, there's wisdom in that at so many uh, levels and layers. I'm going to continue my conversation with Pastor Jason Harris. He's the pastor of Central Presbyterian Church in New York City, and he and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Pastor Jason Harris. He is the pastor of Central Church in New York City. You can find them online at centralchurchnyc.org, or you can also find them on the Central Church NYC app. Um, Jason, I think that there are probably people listening right now, particularly our listeners in, in Hartford, Connecticut, um, who are who are thinking to themselves, wow, you know, I, I really only knew of maybe a couple very high-profile evangelical churches in the city of New York. Um, give us a little sense of the the landscape of, um, of the Christian witness in the city of New York, um, what it feels like to serve as a pastor there. I know that for you, the northeastern part of the United States sort of is your cultural context. It is not the cultural context for a lot of people who are listening right now. So just give mm-hmm. us a little sense of being a Christian in the city and maybe even just how the feel of that has changed because of this particular um, event, season, pandemic, whatever word we want to use here to describe uh, the impact of the coronavirus. Yes, well, that's a good question. Uh, as you say, I, I grew up in Connecticut myself, so uh, this is sort of home turf for me. But uh, I would say that that uh, most people in the Northeast uh, are, at the very least, very skeptical towards any form of evangelical Christianity, if not outright uh, hostile towards it. Uh, but there there has been a little bit of a renaissance, at least in, in New York, within the last 20 years or so, so that there are an increasing number of gospel-centered churches uh, in Manhattan and uh, especially through the outer boroughs. And so uh, there is a growing witness, and I think that that in itself uh, is a great help to the, the cause of Christ because uh, it's a lot uh, more difficult to disparage uh, Christians or Christianity when you actually have become friends with some uh, through uh, your community, your workplace, or uh, your social sphere. And so the more Christians there are in the city uh, who are giving Jesus a good name, uh, the the more it uh, enables the church to move forward in, in mission. Uh, and so we have seen some positive signs there. Uh, at the same time, I would say it it is nevertheless uh, difficult terrain, and uh, you have to be pretty smart about how you engage in conversation with people about uh, about Christ, because uh, you can't really take anything for granted, and you sort of have to assume uh, that uh, people's uh, first thoughts are going to be negative rather than positive, and uh, our our job is to to try to be respectful uh, and and winsome uh, and truthful and authentic at the same time. So that that's the 
that's the consistent challenge. Respectful, truthful, authentic, wise, winsome. Um, I, I feel so blessed that you are there because you you actually are all of those things. Um, and you're young. Uh, you and your wife raising four kids in uh, you know in in the city. How are you guys sort of handling and managing all of this as a family right now? Just talk with us about that. I mean, some of us live, you know, frankly, in houses that are six or seven times the size of a regular apartment in in <laughs> Manhattan. Um, yeah. We, you know, we drive cars everywhere. I mean, you know, our average drive to the grocery store is is 15 minutes. Um, and that, that's not because there's any traffic. It's just because it's that far away. Like your life is just really different than ours. Talk with us just about what it's like to uh, be living in New York right now um, with four, you know, with four kids. Yeah. Well, we decided to uh, to send my wife and our kids out of the city uh, mm. for however long it's it's going to be, because we do uh, two things. One, we knew that they were going to go crazy uh, in our apartment for for a indefinite period of time if they were cooped up here. And uh, and second, we knew that uh, rather than being less busy, I was going to be more busy. So uh so they're actually a thousand miles away right now, which uh, is hard. Uh, it's it's definitely hard uh, for my wife because now she is uh, taking care of all four of them on her own, and uh, she's still in an apartment, but just not in New York. So they they've got a little outdoor space where they can go, but uh, but they're still in cramped quarters, and uh, and then she's trying to uh, help them navigate uh, online school, which makes a little bit of sense for our oldest who is 12, but uh, our youngest is five. So how do you do uh, online school when you're in preschool? It's a, it's a little bit more challenging. Um, but uh, I think the distance is hard uh, during a, a crisis like this. Uh, certainly my wife wants me back and my kids want me back. Uh, but uh, as the leader of the church, it, it seemed like uh, I really needed to focus on the needs of our congregation in our city right now. So at least uh, in this way, uh, I can I can give my uh, attention to that, uh, and we can still connect uh, through FaceTime or or uh, over the computer. But uh, that's how we're managing at least so far. Jason, let me uh, declare what you already know to be true, but um, but also just to say it: um, Easter is coming. Like on so many levels, in so many ways, Easter is coming. Can we pray for you? Absolutely. Father, I come before you um, with uh, aligned with the hearts of so many right now who are listening, who are bearing up before you in the name of Jesus, our brother Jason, his family, his congregation, the witness that you have given them right now um, in the city of New York. We ask for a hedge of protection around him physically. We ask that every spiritual resource would be poured out not only upon him, but upon his team at Central Church and through them, Lord, that the gospel would go forth to more and more people in this season. Um, we sense revival, and Father, we thank you for this um, brother who is on the front lines, and we ask, Father, that you would uh, give him everything that's necessary for the accomplishing of your will in these days. We entrust him to you. We thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Jason, amen. thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. We'll be right back.
All right, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. right here, uh, Susie Larson, Bill Arnold, and I are going to be hosting a live call-in hour. Live call-in hour. Uh, you use the same number that you used to text me during the show, 877-933-2484. But tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Central, uh, for one hour, Susie Larson, Bill Arnold, and I are going to be hosting a, a live call-in hour. What are we looking for? We're looking for... Um, request for prayer. We're going to pray together. We're also looking for listener testimonies. Um, how How is it that God has blessed you through the ministry of Faith Radio? Um, or how is God just showing up in the midst of these times and, you know, showing off in all the right ways? I mean, you know, when God shows up and God shows off, we ought to celebrate that. We ought to point it out. Um, as we're driving down the road right now and um, the trees are blossoming where I live, we pause and we thank God for sending flowers today. Like, God, you sent me flowers today. That's so cool. So every time um, we, we acknowledge the goodness, the greatness, the glory, the grace of God in our midst, we are giving God his due. And so that's part of what we're going to do tomorrow, live on air during the hour. We're going to give God his due, give him the glory, do his name. And we're also going to lift up prayers and petition before his throne of mercy and grace um, for those who ask. And so prepare now. Put it in your phone. Put the number in there, 877-933-2484. Plan to participate from 9 to 10 a.m. tomorrow. Live on the air with Susie Larson and Bill Arnold right here on the Faith Radio Network. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We've got a whole other hour coming up next. Some of you already know part of it's going to be talking about hand washing. <laughs> That's up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.